I was 10 years old going on 11 when my family experienced a significant change. We had been living in what for Bolivians is a metropolis, uh, metropolis a, a, a modern city. Not for you guys, but for us. La Paz is sort of the central part of Bolivia where there's actually high rises and tall buildings. And this is where I'd been born, this is where I was living. But when I was 10, uh, upon return from family vacation, we had been exiled. That's the word, I don't know how else to describe it. Our stuff had been moved without our knowledge, and we ended up in a different place, a different city. Now, I don't expect you to know much about Bolivia, but we ended up in a city called Oruro, a tiny town that is actually uh, in the middle of the high desert. It's cold, it's windy, uh, it was small and harsh conditions. Water only ran for four to five hours in the morning. We had to fill the bathtub in order to have water for the day. It was a tough place to live. A, only a small Adventist presence. I had to go to a parochial school, and, uh, and my dad had to travel back and forth to do his job. And so we were displaced. We were kind of in a foreign land, my family and I, and uh, it was harsh. We lived in this uh, uh, church complex that was partly abandoned and full of uh, stories, ghost stories and the like. Creaky stairs, all kinds of stuff. And, and when life just got a little bit too stressful, and when my mom was just too upset, my dad would do this thing. He'd come home for the weekend, and on Sunday morning, he said, okay, I feel it, it's time, let's go. He would pack us up into the car, and we'd leave this tiny desert town and head out further into the desert. And upon driving some distances, there in a clearing, nestled against some far-flung mountains, was a building where they had these rooms and hot natural springs came up from the ground. And you would go in there and uh, they would fill these rooms, smaller rooms with natural hot springs. And my family would go in there for some healing. Now, I don't know there was a term for that, but apparently you call it a spa day, right? A spa day. Uh, so my dad knew the power of healing waters. Maybe some of you guys have experienced a spa day. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, we're not here to judge. I've come to love spa day, actually. It's fantastic. Hot tub, hot tub ministry. It's awesome. Maybe you've experienced that, but surely, even if you haven't, you've heard of the potential healing powers of warm water, especially naturally occurring, naturally occurring mineral water. And so, this story won't necessarily sound too far-fetched, but you may recognize the story regardless, even if you've never experienced the powers of healing waters. I'm sure you may have heard about it. And the story that we're about to read today in our series, This is the Way, covers a, a, a very kind of well-known uh, act of Jesus found in John chapter 5. So I'm going to invite you to do it with me. We're going to go right in. Grab a Bible. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you or on your smartphones, and if you don't have a Bible app, you should get our Benita app. There's a Bible tab in there. We're going to be reading from John chapter 5. Okay, and if you're in John chapter 5, say amen. Okay, that's only a few of you guys. We need more of you guys. So, John chapter 5. Now, trust me, um, I realize some of you just like to stare at me. That's cool, but I'm telling you, the Bible is better to look at. You just ignore me. <laughs> look at your word. Uh, the word of God has good things for us today. So John chapter 5. Amen? Okay, we're going to get right to it. This is what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now, we've been discussing, if you've been with us the month of, uh, of February, as we've been uncovering the book of John and, and, and kind of following in Jesus' footsteps, we've been discovering that unlike when I grew up, when I thought this all happened in the same place, Jesus was actually traveling between the south and the north of, the, of, of sort of what we call the Jewish holy land, right? These two places we studied last year represented what had become at one point two kingdoms of the people of God, the kingdom of the north, kingdom of the south. And in the south, we have familiar places like Jerusalem, where the temple is and where Jesus does many things. But he also travels north past Samaria into, into uh, uh, the area we call Galilee. And there in the north, there, that's where he's from. And so Jesus, as you'll see, if you read this, he travels up and down or north and south and what we call the Judean ministry and the Galilean ministry. But oddly enough, well, we read last, last week that Jesus was in the north. In fact, he, he, he healed an important official's son up there by the Sea of Galilee, by Capernaum. And the Bible now says that sometime later Jesus went up. Now for us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he's actually going down. He's going south, right? That's what we call it. We're going down south. Jesus is going south, but... If you knew the topography, he's actually traveling uphill. Because the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, was about 800 feet below sea level, whereas Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. It represented not just in the topography a high place, but in their culture, Jerusalem represented the pinnacle, the top of the religious experience. That's why the temple was there. And why every spring to celebrate Passover, the Jews would come from all over and gather in Jerusalem. So it's quite possible that Jesus is going south, but up to Jerusalem in the, in the spring to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And as he's going there, the Bible says, verse 2, follow with me. And as he's about to enter Jerusalem near the sheep gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3, and here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Some of your versions will include verse 4. Some of your versions will not, if you read it in the fine print. Verse 4 has not been, it wasn't always included in the early versions or manuscripts of Scripture. But verse 4 tells us what we'll see in the rest of the verses was kind of a commonly held belief. Legend had it that at this pool, from time to time, an angel would descend and stir the waters. And when the people saw the waters were being stirred, the belief was that the first person to dive in or go in would somehow receive the miraculous touch of the angel and might be healed. And this belief uh, was so strong that it drew people that wanted healing. So the Bible says in verse 3 that a number, a great number, a lot of Disabled people, people that were blamed, I mean blind, lame, and paralyzed would gather there. Verse 5, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I mentioned this during the first service, but how many of you think 38 years is a long time? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> How many of you guys think, nah, 30 years, not much. That's just, that's, yeah. I think when you get to be my age, you think 30 years, that's nothing, right? What would some of us give to be 38 again, to tell you the truth, right? 38 years. But in reality, 
38 years is a significant amount of time. 38 years represents something that has been that way for a while. In fact, it represents something uh, that is more permanent in nature. If you've been married to the same woman for 38 years, you've done good. You've done good. Yes? Yes. If uh, you've had the same job or career for 38 years, you're about to retire. You've done good. You've done good. Am I right? 38 years represents something that, is, that has been in place and is, is permanent. But sadly, this permanence is not one he wished for. The Bible says that there was one person there who was an invalid for 30 years. The desire of ages tells us that quite possibly he was the longest serving invalid of this pool. That, that he was the worst case. That he had come and, and others had come after him but somehow managed to leave this place. But for 38 years, he remained. He was essentially a fixture. The Bible says in verse 6 that when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he went up to him and he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? When I first read that, I, I was kind of upset. Uh, Jesus upset me. Because I think that's an insulting question, don't you think? Like if someone has been an invalid and he's been waiting and you say, well, don't you want to get better? Don't you hate it when people do that to you? Right? When they say, oh, things like, oh, just get over it. Right? Or they just say, oh, it's not such a big deal. At least you're not dead. It's stuff like that, right? You're just like, oh, it sounds insulting. Jesus says, don't you want to get well? But if you look a little closer, he's trying to reach something in this man He's trying to reach something in this man that has been untouched for such a long time that he has forgotten it exists. 38 years. It, it's a really long time. The Bible doesn't say if he was born this way or if he became. But regardless, 38 years is a really long time. In fact, if you actually look at the original language, what is described here, you might get a better picture. Because Jesus says he learns that this man had been this way for such a long time. But the word to describe in the world that, that you and I translate here as paralyzed or invalid is, 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 um, is different than what you think. It's this word, zeron. And what it actually means, it's withered or dried up. It's like if you take a twig and you break it off a tree and eventually it shrivels up and it turns into brittleness, dry, it shrivels. Uh, a medical term would be like atrophied. But the original language is withered. He was dried up. This man had been sitting in this place for so long that he was dried up. That his, his, his skin, his flesh, his muscles, his bone, everything was just shriveling up. He was just a shriveled up version of what he once was. And Jesus comes to him and he says, well, don't you want to get better? Don't you want to get well? And notice the man's answer, verse 7. He says, Sir, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred or troubled in your version, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I don't know if you can tell right there. But even when Jesus tries to touch that place and says, Is there any desire in you to improve? He has been this way for so long that he's almost accepted it. 
Do you know what that's like? I bet you do. I bet there are some things in your life that, that you know are not the way you want it to be, but over time, 38 years, you just kind of, ah, oh well. I bet some of you guys are, are familiar with that, with that feeling. But, but I want you to look at his answer. He says, sir, I'm all alone. Maybe in his first two or three years that he was here, maybe he had some people. I don't know. Maybe there was family members. We don't know. And while they were waiting for the waters to be troubled, the time passed and eventually they lost hope and they lost the cause. Eventually he finds himself alone and unable and and basically, he accepts this. I'm just withered. I'm dry. No one's going to help me. I'm all alone. This cannot change. I guess I just have to accept it. Have you ever felt like that? Are you feeling that way today? It's about something in your life, some challenge that you've been dealing with, a marriage problem, a relationship issue, some financial situation, and, 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 and maybe someone has said to you, well, just, it is what it is. Just accept it. Maybe you feel alone today. Maybe you feel hopeless today. I want you to know what the Bible has to say to that today. Verse 5 says that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. The word in the original language is that Jesus perceived, he identified, he sensed. And if you're feeling hopeless today, I want you to know that God sees you. He sees where you are. He knows what you've been going through. I know. I'm in there. I know that it's easy to feel all alone, like nobody cares, and that no one's going to help, that you've been abandoned. But Jesus sees us. He sees us, he senses, and he offers. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? The original language is, do you wish that? Is that your desire? Is that your intention? Maybe there's not much you can do about it, or you maybe feel like there's nothing uh, that you are capable of, but, but do you at least desire it? See, in his answer, the man is sort of like, given up on desire. That's why Jesus is trying to poke it in him, trying to, trying to bring it back. The man says, no one's going to help me. It doesn't matter what. I, I can't get down to the pool. I'm just stuck in this way. And Jesus says, but do you still want to or have you given up on yourself? Have you given up on hope? Is there at least a wish? Is there at least a desire? The man says, no one's going to help me. I'm all alone. And Jesus turns to him, verse 8, and he says, well, get up. Pick up your mat and get walking. Get up, pick up your mat, and get walking. It's funny, right, the way that Jesus operates? He just doesn't seem to be uh, troubled by any of our perceptions of reality. <laughs> he doesn't listen to reason or logic or story or history or past. He just comes right in and he decides he's going to help you change the situation, but only if you want to. Do you want to? Do you want to change? Do you want to get better? Is there something that you want to improve? Jesus says, all right, let's do that. Get up, pack up your stuff, and let's get to walking. You know what the Bible tells us? You read in your Bible, it says that in that moment, at once, the man was cured, and he picked up his mat 
and he walked. 38 years, he hadn't, he hadn't made a step. But just like that, he picks up his mat, and he rolls up his little rug, his little tapestry, and he puts it on his arm, and he begins to high step. And I mean, that's what I would do, right? I'd be like Deion Sanders. I know you guys know who that is. But I'd be like high stepping. If I, if I didn't walk for 38, the man begins to walk around. And it's so obvious that he was an invalid. He's got this little mat. The Bible continues and it says that, but people saw him and they were startled by this. This man is high-stepping. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. That they asked him, hey, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing? Why are you carrying that mat? Why are you carrying that mat? The Bible's word for walking around is this word. It, it literally means to make rounds. To, 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 you know, like perimeter, same word, to make the rounds. He had his mat, and he was making the rounds. He, was the, he went, we left the, the pool, went by the sanctuary, the temple, and he was making the rounds. Mat under his arm, boots a-stepping, and he was noticed. And they stopped him, because this was the Sabbath. And the Jews stopped him, and they said, wait a minute. It's the Sabbath. Why are you carrying that mat? Because in their rule book, you could walk around, but you couldn't carry a mat. <laughs> but his answer is interesting. He says, the man who made me well told me to pick it up. He says, I, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a difficult situation here. I know that's the rule, but this is man who has defied rule. Hmm? I, was, I was 38 years, and he told me, and I got up. So should I listen to you or to the one who made me well? And they said, well, who is this who told you? And he says, his answer is, I don't know. Because Jesus had slipped through the crowd. And so he was walking around, mad under his arms. Well, you guys don't know. I don't know. But I'm walking. So I'm going to just keep on walking. And he was walking around. And the Bible says that Jesus found, in verse 14, Jesus finds him a little bit later in the temple. And he says, oh, look, you're doing well again. And then he says something really odd. Be careful if you're reading your word. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I don't know. It sounds like a threat, but maybe it's just advice. Maybe it's just advice. Maybe Jesus is trying to help him understand what is happening, but what needs to continue to happen. I'm going to explain this to you. Because by now we have encountered a couple of miracles here in our reading of the book of John. But if you read all of the Gospels, you have to understand that there are certain specific things that have to happen before Jesus actually, listen carefully, actually provides a healing miracle. There are things that must be in place before Jesus provides a healing miracle. Because as I'm telling you this and as we've been reading, some of you guys are like, I need a miracle, but I haven't seen any signs and wonders yet. And you're waiting. You want some of that. Fairy dust, huh? But if you read, if you read the Gospels, if you examine every single one of these moments, you'll come up onto this. The Seventh Heavenist Commentary tells us there are at least four things that are always in place before a healing miracle takes place. Number one, there must be a profound sense of need. Jesus says, are you sure you want it? Do you really need it? A profound sense of need. Listen, family. God does not provide miracles when you could fix the problem yourself. Let's that sink in a little bit. God will not give you a miracle when you can provide the answer yourself. Some of us want better health, and we, got, we want God to do it miraculously. Well, you know what? we got to change our order at the McDonald's. 
Okay, we just got to do it. God is not going to miraculously, you know, make the Big Mac disappear. You got to change your order. God will not give you a miracle that you can produce by yourself. Why would he? There must be a profound sense of need. The man was invalid for 38 years. He couldn't. He was a profound, but he needed to understand that. Number two, there has to be this, 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 this realization that only God can supply and a belief that only God can make this happen. This is critical. If God is one of your options, it ain't going to work. You understand? If you're like, I need this miracle, I'm going to ask God. But then again, I got, I got a backup plan. It ain't going to work. You must have faith that only God can supply. See, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when he does supply it, he must receive the credit. Because when he supplies it, he's going to ask you to do something. Number three, there must be a readiness to act. Jesus says, get up, rise up. That was the moment. That was the moment. Rise up. And now he says something further. He says, now that you are rise, now that you are walking, walk differently. Stop sinning. Walk differently. Your life was like that before, but now you must walk differently. Number four, there must be a willingness to reorder life after the miracle. And here's why. And you guys all know this. When the diet's over, the weight comes back. Come on, somebody say amen. When the diet's over, the weight comes back, right? If we don't organize our life differently after, the same patterns lead to the same result. So Jesus only provides the miracle when he knows the recipient has a willingness to change his life after the fact. That's why when he approaches him here, he says, okay, you're walking now. Stop sinning. Reorder your life. Walk differently. Listen, you're walking around, right? But now you have to walk the talk. You have to walk the talk. Okay, Evanist, this is your time. You got to walk the talk. You want a change in your life. You want God to be powerful. We want all these things. But are we willing to organize our life according to his truth? See, Jesus is interested in how you conduct your life. That's what, that's what this word means. The walking around is it's where you conduct your life, how you run your circles, how you do your errands, where you go for lunch, who you go to lunch with. This is how you conduct your life. That's what Jesus is, is aiming at. When he says, do you want to change? Do you want to get well? Let's talk about how you're living. Let's talk about how you're living. See, many of us want the miracle. We just don't want the change after that. We want the magic dust. We don't want to reorder our lives. We want blessing without surrender. We want signs and wonders without faith. But it just doesn't work like that. Because faith is what unlocks God's miraculous power in your life. And he says, for me to unlock it, the true miracle comes after you stand up. Listen, it's after you rise. The true miracle is how you walk, not that you stood up, but how you walk around. So he says to him, arise, stand up. But you know what I love about this word? It's the same word Jesus will use in just a few moments later and all throughout the New Testament. It's the same word in the Greek that is used to describe when Jesus comes and calls and people resurrect. It's the same word. It's the same word. Rise. 
You know that word that, that we all recite when we go to a funeral, the word that will be spoken of this weekend when we grieve over Lem's father's death. We will say, a time will come when the, when the archangel will descend and the voice of, call, of God will call and, and shout out like a loud trumpet and those who have died and fallen asleep in Christ shall rise. That's this word. See, it's a word that means resurrection. It means, it means you were dead, but you have come back to life. You were shriveled up, but life is filling in you. You got to come back. You got to come different. It means resurrect. It's that same word. So when Jesus stands over him and says, do you want a different life? Do you want something to change? And he says, yes. Then he says, then resurrect. Arise. Come back. Come back to life but you're going to conduct a different life, a different life. Stop sinning or something else may, may happen to you. Well, the Jewish leaders were, were, were abuzz now because it's the Sabbath, verse 16. Because it was the Sabbath, they were upset and they began to persecute Jesus and they cornered him and they're saying, what gives you the right? Who are you to tell people they can carry their mats around? And Jesus answered, and I love this, I love this because we've been singing this this month. Jesus' answer is, my father is always at work, even to this day. And I, too, am working. And it's a strange word, let's be honest, if you're Adventist, because we grew up, thou shalt not do any labor, any work on the seventh day, right? We're like, ugh. But it's the same word. It's exactly the same word. But maybe it's because we don't understand what Jesus is actually saying. He says, my father is working even to this day, it's a Sabbath, like this one. And the word, the word work, if you read it in the rest of the New Testament, means to produce, to accomplish. In fact, some places it's translated as ministering. See, the work of God is to reflect the love of God. And the Sabbath is an expression of that. Listen, 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 listen. What Jesus is doing on this, this particular Sabbath is providing love in such a way that it heals. He saw a man no one else could see. 38 years, he's basically part of the furniture. But Jesus sees him, and he offers him. He says, you are valuable. There's still a future for you. See, in this Sabbath, Jesus is healing. And this Sabbath is supposed to be your healing. Do you know why we rest from our work? So our bodies can recover. You know why we, we, we turn off the TV? So our minds can recover. You know why, we, you know why we, we give our tithes and offerings? So our greed can go away for a little bit. You know why we come to church? So we can tell our loneliness, you stay outside, I'm going to go be with my people. You see, the Sabbath is supposed to be a healing moment for us. This is healing waters. You know why we praise Him? So we can put our eyes on Him and stop staring at ourselves. Selfie time. Jesus offers healing. That's what the Sabbath is for. He says, and that work, I'm never going to stop. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Right here in this moment, in this room, Jesus is trying to heal you. It's not for everybody, but there are some of you, there are some of you that he's trying to bring about Something different. A hurt that he's trying to heal. A wound that he's trying to cover. Words that he wants to speak over you. 
There's somebody in this room that Jesus wants you to know. He sees you. He knows you're hurting. And he has not forgotten you. You are not alone. He wants you to rise and walk around differently. Jesus says, I am working even to this day. I am working. You know what Jesus wants? He wants to give us the confidence to know that he can produce a different result in our lives. We call this pisteo to believe. He wants us to place confidence in his ability to do the work in our lives. And this is what we read, if you were with us here in the, in the month of February, it's not about what we can accomplish, it's about what we can confidently believe that he can accomplish. Isn't that good news? I know I got problems. <laughs> I know there are things about me that, that need to change. But every time I try and try to muscle the energy to do that, I can't do it. I'm a failure at that. But you know what? Praise God. He succeeds. He is capable of making a difference in your life. But you've got to believe. And this is what belief is. Experience profound change that results in different ways of being. You know what the Jews, the, the, the Greeks believe, the Jews and Greeks, that hearing and listening, hearing and listening, had to be connected to believing. It didn't work. It's like you could hear and not believe. It were connected. But for them, belief is something that you are changing your mind that results in a different way of being. That's why Jesus says, get up and walk around. You see that? Get up and stop sitting there. Stop lying there. Get up and walk around. Jesus' word there. Pick up your mat. Get up, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. It's a fantastic word. Jesus is challenging him to think and believe about himself differently. In fact, he makes that same invitation to us just a little bit later. Look at this, verse uh, 24. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever hears my words and believes, experiences change so that it, that it creates a different way of being. It says, whoever believes in me, and him who has sent me has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. And that word, I love it. I want you to say it with me. Metababacon. I know it's bacon in there, so you guys are like, ooh. So metababacon. That's the word right there. Passed over. It's a past term, something that has already happened, that means something is on the other side. But what it actually means, if you look a little closer, it means you have departed. You have left somewhere and are on your way to somewhere else. Follow me? Jesus says, if you hear and believe my words, you have departed that place, that place that held you captive on the floor, withered, dried up, hopeless, alone, and full of shame and guilt and fear. You have left that place, and you are on your way somewhere else. Isn't that cool? Jesus says, if you just hear, believe. If you read this, he's talking about a future reality, yes, Second coming, yes, but he says, no, if you hear and believe now, you already departed. Listen, family, we may not be there yet, but we can be on our way. Isn't that cool? We can be on our way. That's what Jesus is inviting us. That's what he says, come and see. Come and see. It is not theory. It is experience. It is not abstract. It's literal. He wants us to experience leaving something behind, departing from there, and moving on. Accepting a different way of being. Listen, if you were not with us, I'm going to do it really quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over it. 
Early we met Jesus, the Word. The Word was God, is God, was with God, but He came and became flesh so He could show us what He wants to do in our lives and change us. Early we met in our series Nicodemus, who came at night. And see, Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked Jesus, I want it, but do I have to change to receive it? Nicodemus was limited by his place, his position, and his power. But Jesus offered him a new identity. Jesus says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And if you're born of water and the Spirit, you will be born again. You will have a new identity. He challenges him, and I am challenging you. Become born from above. That's the difference. Your power, your place, your position, they don't matter. No matter what you heard, Jesus wants to give you a different identity. Later, we met the woman at the well in Samaria, and she could only see the limits. She asked Jesus, but can you change my circumstances? She was limited by her genealogy, her geography, even her gender. Oh, but Jesus' love is without limits. Jesus' love is without limits, and he offers her living water. He offers her living water. He says, don't define yourself or others by your circumstances. Don't define yourself or others by your circumstances. Listen to me. If that's who you've been, today's the day to make a change. If that's where you've been, today's the day to make a change. And now we meet this invalid. They're lying by the pool. And his answer to Jesus is, nobody can help me. I'm all alone. I can't even help myself. He is limited by his disillusion, his discouragement, and his decay. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Or do you want to be alive again? And that's what I'm asking you. See, Jesus is the great disruptor of water. He, uh, he is the one who troubles the water. It is his hands that troubles the water. But out of those troubled waters comes new life. So, are you ready? Are you ready to rise and leave your old way of being behind? Are you ready? Because this is the way. But if we're going to follow his way, listen, family, you're going to have to leave your way behind. If we're going to follow his way, there are some things that you're going to have to leave behind. There are some habits, some vices, some practices, some behaviors, some words, and some people that you're going to have to leave behind. Jesus says, come and see. I've got things for you. I've got living water I've got a wellspring. I've got a new identity. I've got hope. I've got healing. I've got everything. But you're going to have to leave where you're at and come with me. Friends, if you have confidence in him, today's the day you can make a change. Not of your own power, but by his. But it's still up to you. Are you willing to leave your way behind to accept his way? I don't know what it is for some of us. But I can sense that for some of us, it has to do with forgiveness, hurt, offense. Someone offended you, and you're hanging on to that, and it's holding you captive. 
It's like a mat. It's got you tethered to the floor. Jesus wants you to leave it behind and walk around differently. Walk around with forgiveness in your heart. Some of us, it's fear. We're worried. What's going to happen? How am I going to do this? How are we going to survive? How are we going to answer? Jesus wants you to leave that behind and instead trust. Trust. The one who made you knows how to take care of you. The one who formed you will provide for you. Do you trust that? For some of us, it's brokenness, a broken heart. We just lost all hope because we've been hurt so many times, we just don't think it's possible. But Jesus says, not for me. I can change you. But you're going to have to leave that way behind. Friends, this is the way. This is the way. Let's leave our ways behind and let's follow him. Let's rise. Let's resurrect. Let's reclaim what was once ours. Let's embrace our Sabbath of rest, the beauty of our message. Let's reclaim our identities as loving husbands and wives, as faithful children. Let's, let's, let's reclaim our, our identity as students of the word. Yes, yes, I know we lost our way, but Jesus says, even though you withered there, I will give you new life. Even though you're thirsty, I will fill you. Even though you've died, you can resurrect. Don't you want that? Today's the day. And it may have to start with a simple phrase, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. Jesus wants to change our lives. This is the way. So let's embrace him. Let's say yes. Let's follow him. Let's start today. This is the way.